Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Spotlight. Uh, Spotlight is a podcast where we showcase people in the baseball community, players, coaches, people in business, anything you could want um, to learn more about baseball and get more involved uh, with the game with that uh, you know we all love. Uh, my name is Josh Band. I'm the founder and owner of Plate Crate. I have an awesome guest today. There's no mistake why this person is my number one guest on the first <laughs> podcast for Spotlight. Um, and it, his name is Matt Antonelli. Um, he's the owner of Antonelli Baseball. He has an amazing YouTube page at Antonelli Baseball, um, an amazing Instagram page, uh, but so much more than that. He has a great AU program. He was a first rounder. He played in the big leagues. He has so much to teach all of us. Um, so without further ado, welcome, Matt. Uh, great to have you on again. I know we've had a lot of these chats, but I'm super excited to get into it. Thank you. I feel pretty special that I am your first <laughs> And you feel you sh you should probably feel pretty comfortable at this point because we've had lots and lots of talks. So I'm uh, I'm really glad it finally materialized into uh, into the podcast, and I'm super happy that you know you're you're the first guest on the show because uh, I know that people listening are going to learn so much from you. Um, yeah, so I want to start off um, with just your background. I know it. I've heard it a bunch. Um, I was there for par part of it, I guess. Um, but tell us, um, you know, where you're where you're from. Uh, what sports you played in high school, and, and let's just kind of start from the beginning. Okay, so uh, I grew up in Peabody, Mass., just like you. Uh, yeah. I went to St. John's Prep High School in Danvers, Mass. It's like, you know, five, ten minutes away. Um, it's an all-boys Catholic school. I think we had like 1,200 kids. I played baseball, football, and hockey during my four years there. Uh, grew up as like a multi-sport athlete, pretty much played every sport I could my whole life. Those are the three that I chose when I got to high school. And then, um, let's see, as I got a little bit older in high school, I started to realize that baseball was kind of my best sport, the sport that I thought that I'd have a chance to go play college and then hopefully one day play uh, professionally. That was always kind of my goal and dream when I was a young kid, wanted to play in the major leagues. And so I uh, ended up getting a scholarship to Wake Forest. Um, where I ended up going for three years and playing. I got drafted out of high school by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 19th round. And so made a decision to put off pro ball, go to college, uh, went to Wake Forest for three years, got lucky enough to get drafted again. I uh, went in the first round that time, so I had to go and play. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so then I went to, I was drafted by the Padres. Uh, made my major league debut in 2008 after I think it was a little under two years or so from when I got drafted right around there. And then uh, then I kind of bounced around for a while. I played for five total teams in uh, Major League Baseball, played with the Padres, the Nationals, the Orioles, the Indians, the Yankees. And then in 2013, I, uh, I got released slash retired. And that's when <laughs> I got into college coaching. Um, Coach at Wake Forest and then coach at Holy Cross. I started Antonelli Baseball, and uh, and that's what I've been doing since uh, 2013. Kind of growing Antonelli Baseball, and you mentioned the YouTube channel, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Been able to work with a lot of kids and uh, and help players get better. So it's been it's been great. Nice. Well, that was a super super comprehensive overcap <laughs> or recap of your high school career. <laughs> um, no, but that's that's awesome. And actually, there's a couple pieces in there that I didn't even know. I didn't know that you made it that fast in major leagues, which I definitely want to dive into. Um, and I know you have some funny stories as well. Uh, but let's let's kind of rewind. Let's go back to high school. Okay. Um, you're a talented player at St. John's Prep. I saw your games when I was in eighth grade, seventh grade, all this. 
because it was just a powerhouse and watching you play against all the other guys. Um, it was crazy. I know you played hockey too, right? Mm -hmm. And you were really good at hockey. Was baseball just always a passion for you? Or was it something where you said, I actually have a career, a, a more likelihood to have a career in baseball than hockey? Yeah. So I would say growing up, my goal when I was really little was uh, hockey and baseball, my two best sports. They're my two favorite sports playing them. Um, and I always wanted to go to UNH to be a hockey and baseball player. That was like my goal when I was little. I was the bad yeah. boy for UNH um, and we were good friends with the hockey coach. And so I went to like every hockey game. And then uh, UNH crushed my dreams when I was probably <laughs> going into high school and I, they uh, dropped the baseball program. Yeah. And so um, that kind of changed my whole philosophy on what I wanted to do when I got older. And, um, you know, I still loved hockey. Played it in high school. And I would say probably right around my junior year of high school, I think I just I started playing more baseball, less hockey. And uh, I just started getting better at baseball. And I don't know. I just felt like that was going to be the sport. If I wanted to play in college, and I could have probably played hockey in college. But, you know, I was thinking if I want to get to the major leagues, which, you know, I, I, again, I wanted to play in the NHL or the, or the MLB. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm better at baseball. Um, and I'm going to go with that and put everything I have into it and hopefully one day play in the majors. Yeah, which, is, I mean, eventually happened. I don't want to foreshadow everything but uh so you're in high school you get drafted your senior year by the dodgers you said the 19th round yep um so, i mean that's that's crazy i mean not let alone getting drafted in the 19th round out of high school is great but playing in saint john's prep in the northeast where your first month is shoveling snow off the field <laughs> um you know who was there was there anyone specific that gave you advice on why to turn that down and was it was it for monetary reasons was was it for education uh, but to kind of take us through that, because I'm sure that was pretty difficult. Sure. So um, it was a little bit of both. And, you know, I think I pretty much relied on, uh, you know, I just talked to my parents mostly. Um, they had contacted some people that they knew, uh, uh, families of, of kids that had been drafted out of high school. And so they tried to do some research. In the end, I think the main reason was basically, um, you know, I knew that if I had went and played at Wake Forest, that I could do the draft all over again. And as much as I wanted to play professional baseball, um, you know, I got drafted in the 19th round. I got, I got offered a, a higher signing bonus. So when the draft was rolling around, people had told me when I talked to organizations that I'd be drafted somewhere in like the fifth to eighth round is kind of where they were saying. And, uh, and I didn't go there. Uh, I'm assuming because, you know, I had the scholarship to Wake Forest. And I think at that point in the draft, people weren't sure if I was going to, you know, sign or not sign. And so I think I dropped a little bit further. When the 19th, they offered me a signing bonus that was comparable to like a fifth round pick. So it was a tougher decision. If it was just 19th round signing bonus, which is almost nothing, I, you know, there would have been no thought. I would have just yeah. had to college. Um, but the fifth round signing bonus made me have to really think about it. And in the end, um, you know, I thought that I could, if I went to college, like you said, you know, we're Northeast players. And so we didn't play a ton of baseball growing up. And I thought if I went to college and played baseball all year round in North Carolina, I just thought that I would really develop. And I said, in three years, I think I could potentially go in the first round. That was what my became my goal. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I got lucky and went and it happened. I developed and I ended up getting drafted much higher. So it worked out well. But 
Um, I did think about it for a little bit because, you know, when you want to play in the major leagues and you get drafted, all of a sudden you have a chance to go and do it. It's tough to say no and um, kind of, I guess, bet on yourself that you'll get better in, in three years and, and hopefully go higher. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you touched on a couple of awesome things and I didn't even know that story. So I'm glad you, you know, you could share it. Um, but you keep saying the same thing over and over again. I was lucky enough to get drafted. You were such a great baseball player. I'm sure you, I mean, you still rake, but I mean, it sounds like you were so driven at that point, right? When you said no to the draft, you didn't just say, I'm going to get drafted, you know, in the fifth round out of college, I'm going to get drafted in the second round. You're like, I'm going in the first round out of college. You did uh, 17th overall, 16th overall, yes, 17th, 17th overall. Um, so, I mean, take us through Wake Forest because you, I, I don't know if you're the type of person that puts lots of pressure on yourself because you're, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, you're a super easy going person. You're, you know, you're always in a seemingly in a great mood anytime that we talk. Um, but, you know, who was there someone at Wake Forest that really kind of guided you through that? Um, you know, what did you learn in Wake Forest? How was Wake Forest different than, uh, you know, your career at, at the prep? So I'll say this, when I went to Wake, um, the second I decided I wasn't going to go to the Dodgers and I went to Wake Forest, the first thing I said was, like I mentioned, I said, I want to be a first round pick. And um, and then literally for the next three years, I would say pretty much every day when I woke up, I would say, okay, what's the game plan today? What do I got to do to put myself yeah. in a good situation to do that? Now, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm a little odd. I don't have very many talents. I have just a couple, <laughs> um, but the ones that I think the things that I think I'm good at, I will put everything. Sorry, hold on one sec. Okay, um, yeah. I'll put pretty much everything into that. You know, those few things. Um, and so uh, I can be very driven at. You know, if I say this is what I want to do, then I can get real obsessed with it. And uh, which really, I think, helps me with, again with those couple of things. Now, it hurts me in most of the other stuff because I don't know really much about anything else except for, again, just a couple of things. Um, <laughs> but I'm real good at focus, like laser focusing in on that. And so that's essentially what I did. I, I went down there and then I just worked really hard for three years. I set a goal. And uh, the great thing about college versus high school is that, you know, I had to go to class, obviously. I had to make sure that I um, mm-hmm. that I didn't flunk out and I had to be eligible. Um, but I was really focused on baseball. Like I would get up, you know, if I had to get up early to do a workout or hit and then go to class and then I would go, you know, right when class ended, you know, I'd want to go and do more, whether it was again working out or practicing on my own on top of our, our team stuff. So I was, I was pretty focused and, um, you know, I was pretty dedicated to, to reaching my goals and, and college gave me a great opportunity because I could do it. You know, the field's always open to you. You can go, you can work out whenever you want. It's, it's again, it's not like high school where um, we're in the freezing cold. I can't get outside for eight months out of the year, it feels like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the opportunity is just so much more. The, the resources are so much more when I went down to college. Yeah. So I want to talk about something that you just said. It was, it was your daily routine. Every single day you woke up, you said, what can I do uh, to be a first rounder? I think, I mean, I love... Uh, you know, the habits that I've created for myself, it really helps me. I can really tell if I fall out of a habit, it really affects my life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with things I'm doing now with, with, with when I was in college, I mean, that is definitely probably one of the biggest things I would change uh, with my playing career was having a better routine. And it sounds like you picked up on a great routine early. Take us through kind of a day, a baseball day, 
where you woke up, you said, I'm getting drafted in the first round. This is how I'm going to do it. You know, what does that day look like? Sure. Um, I would say the typical day, you know, I'd get up. Either we'd have a workout before school or I'd go to school right away. So, um, you know, one thing we had to do is we had to do our classes early. Usually I'd want my day done by around like noon or one o'clock. Um, and so I would try to usually get my classes out of the way early. And then basically when I'm done at one o'clock with classes, noon or one, then it's like pretty much baseball until late at night when I've got to go to study hall and then get back into homework mode. Um, but I would say, you know, thinking back, I'd probably get out of class at one, I'd eat lunch, and then I would get up over to the field probably around one thirty, two o'clock, uh, try to do something on my own. So we had a batting cage. The facilities now at Wake Forest are amazing. Um, I didn't have the facilities then that they have now, but I, I had all I needed. I had a field and I had a batting cage. And so I usually try to get up there. I would try to get something done in the batting cage. I would try to pick something that I wanted to work on that day. I'd probably hit for like 30, 45 minutes on my own. Practice would start. I think we started right around like 2.30-ish or so. Uh, we would usually practice for like, you know, say two, two and a half hours. Then you usually go to the weight room after that, uh, work out for like an hour or so. And then typically after that, we'd go to study hall. So at Wake Forest, it was mandatory study hall freshman year. And then I think depending on your GPA and all that stuff, you, you can kind of not go as much your sophomore and junior year. Um, I was a good student in high school, but Wake Forest was a little bit tougher for me. And, uh, <laughs> and I, think, I think I wanted, you know, let, let, I'll just say this. I went to Wake Forest. I tell everyone, they say, why'd you go to Wake Forest? I say, well, I went because of the academics and the athletic. But, the, but honestly, the, once I got on campus, it was like, okay, I have to do the school to make sure that I, that I get all my stuff done and I'm eligible. But I was like 99% baseball. I mean, I wanted baseball bad and then I didn't do, I did enough schooling. Um, so <laughs> I, I had to go to study hall probably more than some of the other guys did. Um, and, you know, honestly, if that would end late, I'd get like dinner. And then at that point, like the night's almost over. It's like either go to bed maybe hang out with my, my buddies for a little bit, or, you know, sometimes I would go and do a little bit extra work, maybe up at the cage again, or maybe get another workout or something like that. Um, but it, it was honestly like, it felt similar to professional baseball where it felt like a job. There was mm -hmm. a school involved that that's not involved in professional baseball, but it was, a uh, it was like an 8am till 10pm day, pretty much like every day. And, um, yeah. you know, luckily I really, I mean, I really enjoyed that and I like it. Um, and so, you know, that's what I did. And I had fun with it. That's great. I mean, it sounds it sounds like the key to kind of just your success. Obviously, uh, you know, you're super talented. You don't just get, you know, you don't just go to Wake Forest um, on routine alone. You're super talented, but it seems like you combined it with being just like Superman consistency. I mean, mm -hmm. would you say that's kind of accurate? Um, you know, it's tough to do that every single day, day in and day out. So it's kind of cool. You had that mantra and that very, very clear goal. Um, you know, that you want to get drafted in the first round. Um, so let's let's talk about that. I mean, that's every kid's dream. Anyone that's watching this or listening to this that's playing baseball in high school or, or middle school or college or, or whatever, that's, that is the dream to, to hear your name called in the first round. Um, take us through that day. Take us through, you know, the call. And then what happened right after? Because I know it's super, super fast moving. Um, so what was that like? So... Um... I'll go to the night before the draft. I, uh, my dad would check and I, I also would check a little bit 
you know, they had like mock drafts and stuff. And so I had an idea. I think the night I went to bed, they had me going, I think, 14th overall to the Blue Jays. And so I thought I had a pretty good chance of going in the first round. I talked to a decent amount of teams. I know the Red Sox were picking. I think they picked they picked late that draft. It was like high 20s or something. Did and you then, really, really want the Red Sox? So I, it's funny. Um, I was a huge Red Sox fan. Yeah, but um, selfishly, I did not want the Red Sox because I wanted to go a lot higher. <laughs> but um, that's fair. So the Red Sox, that's very fair. The Red Sox kind of said, like, you know, if I made it to them, that they would probably select me. They made it sound like they, they, you know, they were probably there was a good chance they'd select me. So I, I had a good idea I was going to go in the first round. Um, so I woke up in the morning, and um, we had a like a little party over the house. We had my friends over, my family's friends, um, you know, my family. Uh, everyone over the house. There was a good amount of people over there. And, uh, but I, you know, I was fairly, again, fairly confident I was going to go pretty high. I remember I woke up and checked that mock draft and they had changed it and put uh, someone else in my spot for the Blue Jays. And I remember like getting all upset that I had like moved back in the draft, even though I'm sure I mean, it didn't really mean anything. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I wasn't nervous at all. Like I was, um, again, I don't know why. I think I just felt confident that I was going to go somewhere. Um, the Padres ended up calling me, which I did not know was the Padres at the time. They were the one team that called me right before the draft, uh, answered the phone, and they just said, hey, uh, they didn't even say who they were. They said, hey, you got all 10 fingers and 10 toes. And I was like, uh, I was like yep, I got all 10 fingers and 10 toes. And they said, uh, okay, great. Just hang in there. Something might be happening soon. And I said, okay, great. I hung up the phone. And then my parents said, who was it? And I said, I have no idea. Um, yeah. I just said, someone called and asked if I had 10 fingers and 10 toes. And I told them, yeah. So, so weird. I know. I know. <laughs> so weird. I know. So, so, uh, so I had all my friends over. And um, so we hung out, like played, you know, Xbox for the day. And then uh, the draft started back then. It was on, uh, it was on the internet. It wasn't on TV or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually have, if you go on, if you go on my YouTube channel, I don't know what you got to type in, draft day or something. I have a video. So they, there was a couple of camera crews or, or local news stations that came over and filmed the draft. They had me like mic'd up or whatever back in the day. And uh, <laughs> so I put that on YouTube. So if anyone wants to see it, you can go on there and, and check out draft day. But um, we'll, we'll put that, we'll put that in. Uh, we're going to write it, write up a little story about this. We're going to put in uh, some show notes. I'll make sure to link that. Uh, so people can go to the website and see that. Yeah, go uh, ahead. I, I had horrible hair. I had this long, like, just terrible <laughs> haircut. Um, my style was terrible. But so anyways, yeah, we watched it on the computer, sat there with my uh, with my family and everyone, and then got a call uh, probably right before the Padres picked. And again, I didn't know who it was. I, I answered the phone, and uh, and they said, hey, man, congratulations. We're about to pick you here. I said, thank you so much. I hung up the phone. My parents looked at me. And again, I was like, I, I was like, I don't know. Someone said they're going to take me, but I don't know who it is. And probably like a minute later or so, it said uh, San Diego Padres select. And they called my name. And then everyone got real excited. And uh, and that was it. Man, I feel like I'm there. My heart's beating. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's, I love the detail in that story because, I mean, you didn't even know who was calling you. It's crazy. And they ask you a really weird question. That's crazy as well. Um, that's so cool. And then, uh, so they say they select you, you hug your family, everything happens. And then you're just sitting there and you're like, what do I do now? Do they call you after? 
so basically, um, no. So we all celebrated. Um, actually, one of my buddies went in his car. He had just bought like a San Diego Padres hat. So he went. He was like, he ran out to his car, got it, came back, gave it to me, and he was That's like, "This cool. is a really weird coincidence, but I just bought this hat here, take it." So, so yeah. I threw it on, and um, and so yeah, we just hung out, and then probably so they ended up calling. I don't remember if it was that night or the next day or whatever, and. Um, they they said uh, I think it was the next day maybe and they said hey you know we want to uh, you know let's talk negotiations or whatever let's let's figure out a contract and hammer away at it and let's get it signed today and get you get you out here playing and so I called my agent and I was like um, I was like hey I just got called from the Padres and uh, he was in New York and that's where his agency uh, well, his agency actually is uh, in Virginia but his office was in New York and he said. I said, uh, yeah, they, they said they want to sign me today. They're going to work on the contract. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, no, we're not signing today. He's like, I'm going to, I'm not even there. Like, uh, you know, we'll get together. We'll have a meeting, whatever. And so I said, okay. So I, I told them and they said, no, 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 we're, we're signing today. The area scout is coming up and, um, and we're going to get this hammered out. So the area scout that drafted me flew up, came to my house and uh, he said, yeah, we're getting this done. And so we literally sat in my house for, it felt like, I think it was the whole day. He got there early. We talked the whole day. My agent kept, was on the phone and they would just, you know, talk back and forth. And then we'd wait and hang out for a while. And they'd talk again and hang out for a while. I think they originally offered me like $30,000 under slot value, which slot value is basically just, I don't know, I guess the money they assigned for that pick. And they say, you know, that's kind of fair value, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, so they offered like 30000 less and then my agent was like you know f this we're gonna uh, we want thirty thousand more and then they fought back and forth and after a whole day um i ended up signing and uh i signed for exactly slot value so we fought the whole day and uh <laughs> signed for slot value and uh then um he said great let's go to eat dinner and uh we went and ate dinner with the uh the area scout and that was it i was a padre i signed and uh, i flew out like a, i think uh, like a couple days later that's awesome i mean the guy whoever picked slot value i mean good job props right. props to that guy right um on. yeah right perfect on the money uh, that's cool technically i didn't even need an agent i could have just said like you know hey i'll sign for slot value okay great we'll get it done and then we'll go but um but I didn't know, and uh, and actually, honestly, I I was not, um, you know, I probably could have like held out and signed for a little bit more. But in the it's like, if you're, like I I was getting drafted for more money than I, you know, I had like at the time probably like three dollars in my wallet, and uh, <laughs> you know, I never had a job in my life other than playing baseball. So like yeah. I was happy to pretty much almost sign for anything. So I was not going to argue over like a little bit money here and there. I just wanted to basically play. I wanted to, I wanted to be fair. But I wanted to sign and play. I think I might have been the first first rounder, or I could have been the first first rounder to sign. I believe I signed so fast. That's I don't know if that's impressive, but it happened. It did. <laughs> uh, like I'm the quickest signer of these contracts. <laughs> Give me the contracts. Like yeah, <laughs> no negotiation. Yeah, um, dude, that's so cool though. Um, so you went from years every single day saying I want to go in the first round. I'm going to go in the first round. I'm doing this routine every day three years you sign and now you're like, I'm a professional baseball player. I'm a first rounder. I mean, what, what was actually going through your head? I know you're happy. I know you just had more money 
uh, you know, than you've ever had because you went to the batting cage. Uh, and I'm going to embarrass you now because what was the car that you bought? <laughs> oh, worst investment ever. Hopefully Jaguar isn't watching this. I bought, <laughs> bought the stupidest car. Um, that was the one thing I spent my signing bonus on. I don't know why I felt like, you know, oh, it's a cool thing to get a, a new car. And it was horrible. I would not, if you're, if anyone gets drafted anywhere, do not buy a stupid expensive uh, car. So that's, that's great tactical advice people can use. Anyone yes. that goes in the first round that's listening to this podcast, don't buy uh, a Jaguar. But I remember, um, because I mean, for anyone that's listening, we grew up in the same town, uh, for everyone that's listening. Uh, we grew up in the same town. I, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you and I worked at extra innings. It was a batting cage, you know, you went to often and I see Matt rolling up in this black jaguar right uh i was like this kid's the man he just signed <laughs> he just signed with the padres he's from peabody he's a peabody kid um and i think i even i went out and i like looked at your car um it was it was fun it was really fun so i got some enjoyment out of that purchase so it, it wasn't a it wasn't a total loss well, um still makes me mad but i'm glad you were excited <laughs> i was super excited yeah i was i don't know how old i was 14 or something eh, yeah 14 i don't know <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you're, you know, you, you just made your, your, your dream, your goal. Um, did you just segue right to, I want to get to the major leagues. I need to get to the major leagues. Did, I mean, did, did your goal go from, I'm a first rounder. Did you take time to enjoy that? Or was it just kind of the next thing? So this is probably really strange. Um, everyone thinks, probably thinks I'm very odd for this. I got drafted and, um, I don't feel like I changed any, my, like, my mindset baseball wise continued to stay the same. Like it was like, I want to go now it's like, all right, I want to go to the major leagues. But as far as just like, honestly, my mindset, like nothing really changed. I almost feel like I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I can, for instance, I continued to like, I gave batting lessons at extra innings for like $15 yeah. an hour. Um, I continued to wash dishes at my family's catering business for like probably $10 an hour. Like I kept doing the same stuff that I had been doing before. The only difference was now I was paid to play baseball, but like nothing really changed except for my stupid car purchase. Um, <laughs> and so all I did, I just continued to, to, to just focus on baseball still. And I was like, all right, I got drafted and that's awesome, but let's try to get to the major leagues now. And the same goal I had when I was like really, really little, um, now we was just getting a little bit closer. And so um, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to sign so quick, because I was just like, you know, the draft is great, but um, I want to, if I can sign quick and get out there and play well, then maybe I'll get up to the big leagues quicker. And so that's why I signed so quickly. And uh, it went right out. I went to Eugene, Oregon, which was short season, a ball. Um, and I went right out and started playing. And I was like, let's, let's get going and let's see how quickly I can get there. That was honestly my, my only uh, thought. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it sounds like you just switched what your goal was and they started working towards that goal, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. So, um, so you get to the, you know, minor leagues, I'm assuming you did, you know, you did, you did really well in the minor leagues to make it to the major leagues. Is that the case Were you right place, right time? Cause you made it in two years. That's so fast. I mean, that's crazy. So I had a really weird career. I went, so with the Eugene and, um, short season's very quick. I think I played in like 30 games. Um, I hit around 300 I had a really high on base percentage. didn't hit for a whole lot of power. But I would say it was like somewhat of a successful first year, I guess. Um, again, it's very quick. Like the draft happens in June and then you go play like pretty much like the middle of June, July and August and the season's over. So I went to short season. 
And then I got called up to low A ball, probably like with like two, three weeks left in the season. Um, I went there and kind of just, we went to the playoffs. I didn't even play in the playoffs. I just, I guess they just wanted me to go up and just kind of watch the playoffs and just, I don't know, I guess just hang out and, and um, maybe for some more coaches to see me. Um, and then from there, I went to instructional league, which most players do. It's in the fall. It's mostly like first year and second year players go. Um, I, I kind of went to learn a new position. I was transitioning from third to second. Um, but then also just to kind of learn what it's like to be a pro, learn like the philosophy of the organization, meet the entire um, coaching staff. And so that's when when I went there, all of a sudden I started to really I don't know what happened. Something happened in my swing. I started hit for a lot of power. I was never a huge power guy my whole life. Never hit a home run in high school. Um, I hit some in college, but I mean, I probably should have hit more than I did in college. I was a big, strong guy. And, um, and then when I went to short season ball, I hit no home runs. So I get to instructional league and all of a sudden something happened in my swing. I start popping home runs and um, then I go to spring training in the, in the fall and I'm hitting more home runs. And then they bump me up to low, to high A ball. So I go very quick. I've already gone from short season to low A to high A. And it's all happened in like eight months or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I go to high A. And then I just, for some reason, go bonkers. And I start hitting home run. I'm hitting balls like I've never hit in my life. I'm hitting these <laughs> balls. And like never have I hit balls and just been like, oh, that's gone. And I'm, I'm hitting these balls. And like the second I hit them, I'm like, that ball's way out of here. And, and, peop- and it's like, and it's very strange. I had 14 home runs, I think, in the first half of the year, which was a lot for a second baseman. That's a lot um, for anybody. <laughs> for, yeah, for, yeah. So, yeah. I, um, so I got called up to Double A halfway through the year. So I just I played like two months of of uh, of a of high A ball. I was hitting like I don't know three fifteen with like 14 homers or something like. I think it was 14 homers. I go to Double A. I hit seven homers in like my first month. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, am I Barry Bonds? Like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> yes, I love it. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so I'm feeling great. And like, then they start talking to me. I'm in double A now. And I've only been playing for a year, basically. And they're like talking to me about getting called up to the major leagues that year. This was 2007. I don't I got drafted in six. So it was a year later. And, um, and I didn't get called up. But the weird thing is at the end of that double A season. So I go into August, the last month of the year, I'm hitting probably three thirty with like tw- with 21 home runs. Um, and this is combined between the two leagues. And, uh, and then August hits, I hit zero home runs. I hit 200, I think for August, I just forgot how to hit all of a sudden I go to the fall league and I can't hit a home run and I hit like two thirty, And now for the first time in my life, I went from being Barry Bonds, which I, you know, I thought I was Barry Bonds, to then not being able to hit a ball anywhere. It was the strangest thing that ever happened in my life. And, uh, and so now I don't know what to do. I go to spring training the next year. I can't hit. They send me to AAA, and I can't hit. And uh, that whole year, I hit 160 in AAA pretty much for three quarters of the year it was an absolute nightmare i thought i was going back to double a it was the first time in my life that i could not hit i'd hit pretty much since little league where i just walked out i swung i hit the ball everything was great i didn't overthink my swing everything worked great until it didn't work great all of a sudden in triple a yeah and i didn't know what to do and i was completely lost and i actually like honestly i thought like my career was over i went from thinking i was going the big leagues one year into my career, starting to thinking I'm going to get released and uh, and never play baseball again. It was so strange. Yeah. I mean that's that's such a big shift, and um, and I mean a big part of this 
this show, I want to talk about hitting. Um, we spoke in uh, in a Starbucks, I don't know, a couple of years back or something. And we just talked hitting for a long time. Um, and, you know, that's such a big part of what you teach. Um, it's so different than what, you know, me and you grew up teaching, but, um, or being taught. Uh, so I definitely want to get, I want to get into that. I first want to go to, um, you know, you're hitting a buck 60. Um, you know, does your mindset still change? I mean, are you say I'm going to get released now? Do you still wake up every day and say, I'm going to the major leagues. I'm going to the major leagues. Um, how'd you get, how'd you get around that type of slump where it's not just, I haven't got a hit for a couple of weeks. It's a, this is three quarters of a season. I'm lost. I mean, how'd you deal with that? So, um, not well this, so I wish I could say like, oh man, I stayed so super positive and I just battled through it. And, uh, but honestly, um, and this is one thing, if you talk to a lot of people, like if you talk to people that have been around the major leagues for a long time, you know, whether it's coaches or front office people or just players, almost everyone will say, you know, most of the players that get there obviously are super talented and most of them never struggle their entire life until, you know, eventually most of them will hit a point where they struggle. And that is the point where it's like, you know, some guys are able to figure it out and get there. And then some guys just can't figure it out and they've never had any adversity and they just, you know, whatever, they're done. And, um, and I kind of felt like that when it was going on, like, cause I didn't know what to do. I was like, how do I, you know, people were like, Hey dude, like everyone was giving me advice. Hey man, just go back to doing what you've done your whole life. And I was like, you know, I under, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't know what I did my whole life. Like yeah. I stepped in the box and I swung and I hit the ball and now I can't do it. So it was really frustrating and everyone wanted to help, but it didn't feel like anything I was trying was working. And a lot of people would say, you know, simple stuff, you know, I'd go to, they'd bring a hidden coach and they'd say, Hey man, like spread your feet out and, and put your hands higher and do this. And I would try it and it wouldn't work. And and then they'd send in another coach and they'd say, hey, put your feet closer together and put your hands down and try this. And I'd be like, OK, and I'd try that and it wouldn't work. And so I was getting tons of different info and I didn't really know hitting at all. This is one of the reasons why um, I, I got really obsessed with hitting. At this point, I was not obsessed with hitting. I just hit, but I didn't know anything about hitting. Um, and I ended up learning a lot from this experience because I had to try to figure out what the hell do I do now? I don't feel like anyone can help me. Nothing's working. And if this keeps going, I'm never going to play again. And I got super lucky. Um, a player by the name of Sean Wooten. Uh, he, so he was my teammate in double A the year I was just crushing baseballs. And uh, he ended up, I think he might have got released by the Padres. He was an older player. He actually won a World Series with the Angels um, back. I think they beat Barry Bonds and the Giants. I don't know what World Series that was. But he was the DH for that team. So he was like a 37, 36-year-old veteran. And I was a 21-year-old kid. And we played together in AA. He got released. The next year in AAA, I'm playing. I'm hitting like a buck sixty again. And uh, he's playing AAA with, I think it was the, maybe the Astros. I can't remember what team it was. It was some team he was playing AAA with. And uh, so I get up to bat. He's catching. He's like, hey, what's up, buddy? Nothing much. I'm hitting. After the game, I come out of the clubhouse, and he's waiting out there. And he says, hey, he's like, I got to talk to you. I'm like, what's up? He goes, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I know, man, it's bad. He goes, no, no, no I'm, I'm not kidding. You've got the worst swing I've ever seen. What are you doing? <laughs> He's like, you don't look anything like you did last year. And I said, yeah, I, I wish I knew. So we talked real quick and that was it. He left. 
a couple weeks later, I come to the clubhouse one day and uh, he's at, he's in our clubhouse sitting on a locker. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, Padres just signed me. He's like, I'm your teammate again. I was like, no, no way. So we end up becoming roommates. And he says, listen, he, so he watches me for a little bit. He goes, listen, I know what's wrong with you. We need to, we need to fix this. We end up talking, hitting pretty much every night till about two, three in the morning. He's showing me videos. I realized that he's like a, like a hitting guru. It's, it's unbelievable. He's the first coach that talked about hitting in a way that I was like, this is unbelievable. I've never heard this stuff before. You said like, you know, the way we were taught, we were taught very, um, I don't even know how to explain it. Probably the way every kid's taught, like, you know, A to B swing and, you know, all like the old school things, squish the bug and down the bug and all those things. I heard that my whole life. And he was the first person that said, no, 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 don't like forget about that stuff. I'm going to show you what you need to do. This is what all good hitters do. He taught me a ton about hitting. I'm not kidding you. I went from 160 to the last month of the year. I hit 300. He totally somehow got me to hit again. I hit 300. I hit five homers in the last month and got called up to the major leagues. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much there I want to talk about. Um, what did he see in your swing, number one? Um, what, what did he change? Because you said yeah. he happened to find something in my swing. Yes. You guys talked about baseball, about hitting for so many hours. I'm sure you in the cage. I mean, tell us what he told you. I want to know what he told you. What did he see? How did, because there, there is this conventional wisdom. I'm going to talk for like two seconds and I want you to just go at it. Yep. Um, I think the way that we were taught was the easiest way to convey inf information. So it's easy to say, squish the bug. It's easy for a child to understand that. That doesn't mean it's right. That just means it's easy to tell a little league coach when he reads, you know, a blog article or whatever you know, a kid can squish the bug. It vaguely resembles what a major leaguer does mm -hmm. down the hill, through the tunnel, up the hill, squish the right. bug. It's just ingrained in my head. I can't get it out um, <laughs> because that just sounds easy. And that's not hitting at all. Everyone says hitting so hard. So I never understood why everyone made it seem so easy. And, um, and you know, when I played, I was really good at doing a really bad swing because I would just practice it over and over and over and over again. All these coaches are like, Josh, your swing's so good. Technically, I'm like, then why aren't I hitting? <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't understand it. Um, so, you know, when, you know, there's like a hitting revelation now, um, and you're a huge part of it. The, the things that you talk about on Antonelli Baseball are what Sean Wooten, I'm sure, taught you, or at least had, you know, that was the inception of it. So, I mean, what were those conversations? That's, that's what we want to know. What were those conversations about? So um, this, this may sound crazy. You have to remember that this is 2008. There are no swing sensors. There are no, there's none of that stuff. Okay. And so he was really the first coach that actually talked to me. This, this may sound crazy. Talked to me about bat path and what the path is actually supposed to be. Now, all I'd heard my whole life is that you want to be again, A to B short to the ball, down to the ball. He was the first one to actually talk to me about path. He was the first one to talk to me about getting the barrel behind the ball, getting on the same plane as the pitch. He talked to me, um, he showed me what I was doing, which I had no idea. Like I didn't know. So what, what was happening was essentially my path was really bad. It was from the outside in. So I was cutting across the zone and I was very much down. Like I was very steep to the ball, down to the ball. And I was kind of like, I call it pushing the bat, but basically that's what I was doing. So I was, I was out 
around and then cutting across down through the ball, pushing the bat. So I had no bat speed. Um, I couldn't hit home runs anymore. I'd get jammed a lot or I'd get the ball at the end of the bat. And I would, um, every at bat was basically a rollover to third or a pop up to right, shallow right field because my bat was down and across. So I would, I'd either pull the ball on the ground and smash it on the ground because I'm swinging down like this. Or if I missed under the ball and was cutting across, the ball would go up and to the right. I kept doing it, but no one ever said like, okay, this is your ball flight. And even if they didn't really, like, there were no sensors or anything, they could at least, okay, this is the ball flight. This is probably what your bat is doing. Or this is what your bat's mm-hmm. doing. And this is how we got to correct it. No one ever said that. He was the first one to tell me this. And, um, and I'd worked with, like, a thousand coaches. Like, they were sending in everyone. They were sending in psychologists and psychiatrists and everybody because they thought I was crazy. <laughs> um, and so he was the first one to say this to me. And so he said, basically, um, we've got to get your path. We've got to get behind the ball. We've got to get you swinging more from like the inside out, but really essentially having my back cover the hitting zone better and get my barrel on path of the ball. Those, those were like the easy things that we had to do. Now, how we did that, we changed like some of my, the way my weight was, was um, gathering. Um, I was diving into the plate. Uh, my posture wasn't really good. There was a lot of stuff that we worked on. And, uh, and I'm not kidding. We were in, we'd be in the hotel room, wherever we're on the road. We'd watch film. He, he, had a, he had a computer with, like, everybody's swing. So we'd watch Pete Rose's swing, and we'd watch Tony Gwynn and Ted Williams. And, you know, he'd just go through all these hitters. And he'd say, see how this guy does this? See how he's this? And, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm watching these guys. I'd never watched swings in my life. And I was like, wow, like, you're right. Like, they all have, like, they're stylistically, they're all very different. But they're, mm-hmm. like, they're doing the same stuff. Like, the core, I call them now, like, core principles. They're doing the same stuff. And, um... And so he helped me just do that. And it was like very simple stuff that he would tell me. He'd be like, you know, um, feel your weight. Uh, really easy thing. Um, I was always taught to have the weight kind of on the balls of my feet, almost in the front of my feet, right? And, uh, and because of that, I was, I, was far, I was diving forward. So my weight, was, my weight was really getting over the plate. So I would dive in and then I would cut across. And he was the first guy that said, like, no, 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 you want to feel your weight more, like, on the backside of you. So he's like, feel like your heel is in the ground more. Keep your heel connected to the ground. Feel like you feel the ground underneath you. That'll get the weight back behind you more. You won't dive in. You'll be in better posture. Like, all this stuff I never heard. And uh, he would say, you know, literally he'd say, take your bottom hand. One of the things he was telling me, um, because I was pushing and I was getting out and around, he said, set your bottom hand like this. Set your top hand like this. Um, he would say, I'm trying to think of some of this, like the really easy stuff that would basically get me to be able to turn, you know, now I call it turning the barrel or whatever. Um, but yeah. be able to turn the barrel deeper and get from the inside. All of a sudden, I start doing this stuff. I go in the cage and the ball just starts like, it was the weirdest thing. It was like instant. The ball just starts exploding off my bat again. And everyone's like, oh my God, like you're you're back to being like somewhat normal. And I was like, my, also my power came back, my average came back and I'd been searching for it for like eight months and I couldn't figure it out. And I got really lucky and, and he like saved me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got really lucky you ran into him, but you, yeah. I mean, you didn't get lucky in the sense that you broke down your swing and you started to understand it. And then, uh, and then you got to the major league. So I, I mean, we could talk, we could literally spend hours talking about hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
I was the was the same as you in the sense where I would just chop balls, chop balls, chop balls. Once I started playing at a little bit higher level, I started working with these these other people, and they would say, you know, Josh, that's not that's not how you hit. We don't want ground balls, you know, up the middle. We don't want we don't want ground balls to the shortstop. Uh, we want doubles. We want home runs. You know, we want we want to score runs. That's how you win baseball games. And I'll never forget, um, you know, there was this one one guy. I'm gonna give a big shout out right now, Michael Pear. Um, we, we sat in the cage and, uh, you know, Bobby Tuxbury too. Mm-hmm. Um, so he hit under Bobby Tuxbury and we're hitting the cage. I'm hitting off the tee thinking I'm doing good. Cause you, you don't know what you're doing on the tee. I'm just hitting every ball into the back of the cage on the ground. Uh, great at tee work. Couldn't put together in games. And he had all the, these things where he was turning the barrel, like you said, and he, he called it turning the box. So he said there was a box, you know, right here and you would turn the box this way. Um, and I was like, that's so wrong, man. I go, <laughs> I, I go, that that's literally the opposite of everything I've ever known ever. And, uh, and I was dogmatic about it. So I thought he was wrong 100% and I was right 100%. That is one of the times in my life he completely flipped me on my head and said, this is why you're wrong. I'm going to show you how to hit. He showed me what he knew. And I, it was one of the other times too, that I've just, I had a light bulb moment. I go, that's how you hit. That (laughs) makes so much more sense. I could never figure out why I couldn't hit the ball the other way. Um, you know, hard. And because I was chopping like you, because we were taught by the same people, honestly. Um, but I had that light bulb moment from him and he taught me the same thing as you. And I was, I was so dogmatic about thinking down, down the hill, through the tunnel, up the hill, squish the bug. Um, Mike to Ike, there's like so many, so many bad ways to coach. Um, and it flipped me on, on, you know, on my head and I was so appreciative for it. Um, but so you basically, you got your swing back and then instantly people like Barry Bonds back, he's crushing, (laughs) he's crushing it. Um, and so you crush it for, for a few weeks. I'm sure you got your confidence back too. Um, and you get called up to the big leagues um we spoke about it once before i definitely want uh you to talk about the cleats (laughs) about the cleat story that you told me about um and tell us you know what's what is it like you know getting called up to the major leagues what's the phone call like does it smell different when you get into the dugout what are guys like i mean that's the the ultimate dream getting drafted in the first round is the start of the dream walking onto a major league field for your first time and having your family there with you i'm sure is just you know, uh, is, is a dream come true. So what was that like? So it was, so when I got called up first, you know, I was, like I said, I was hitting really well. I was not ever expecting to get called up. I got called up in some ways. I felt like I had always envisioned myself going up during a time. Like I was hitting, uh, in Lake Elsinore. And, uh, so basically high A and double A where I was just crushing the ball and I was hitting well again in Portland, but I, but it was only for about a three to four week time frame. I'd gone four months not hitting anything. So even though I was hitting better, I was not like super confident. I was still like a little doubtful because I was like, okay, um, I did forget how to hit there for about eight months. And so I, I was a little nervous going up to the big leagues. I wish I'd gone up at a, a feeling, you know, I wish it was a year before when I felt amazing. I think I would have went up there and played with a ton of confidence. So I, I, I get up, I am somewhat nervous. Um, you know, I get in the clubhouse. I flew in early in the morning. I flew from, I was up in Washington. Our AAA team was playing in Tacoma. 
I fly in early in the morning. I'm not expecting to play. I show up. I go to the manager's office. Buddy Black was our manager. Um, and he says, hey, man, welcome. Like, you're in there today at second base. And I was like, I was a little bit surprised. And I was like, oh, my Lord. I'm like, I'm, I, I got to go play in a major league game right now. I go over <laughs> and look at the lineup. And uh, they're, they're pitching Greg Maddox. And I'm like, I got to face Greg Maddox in like a couple hours now. Beautiful so Hall cool. of Famer. So, so now I'm getting a little bit nervous. Um, I, I probably was acting a little nervous. I'm not the type of person. I, I'm uh, not extremely outgoing. Like once I know somebody and I feel comfortable in a situation, I can talk with everybody. But I'm not someone that's going to get into a new situation and just be like, you know, buddy, buddy with everyone. And hey, what's going on, guys? So I was probably very quiet when I walked in the clubhouse. I probably didn't talk to very many people. There was a veteran. I walked out in the dugout. I'm kind of taking it all in. I had a veteran player come up to me and say, like, he actually kind of yelled at me. He was like, hey, man, like, you just got called up. Your dog didn't just die. Like, act a little excited. And I was like, <laughs> and that made me even more, like, kind of nervous because I was like, yeah. I yelled that I've been here for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the game starts. And, uh, you know, luckily the first hitter of the game, Russell Martin, led off of the Dodgers. And he hits me a hard ground ball, first batter of the game. And, I, and it's coming to me, and I'm like, please, just field the ball, please. And I, I, I field it. I look down. It's in my glove. And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, please go to first. I throw to first, get the out. And then all of a sudden, I felt, like, super calm. It was very weird. I went from very nervous to the nerves all went away. And I was I, – I guess it was like, okay, this is the same kind of game. They hit a little harder, but, you know, I still feel the ball. I throw it to first. And, uh, and then I went up and got up that next inning – and got a 1-1 fastball, I think it was, and hit a line drive to center field for a base hit. And, uh, and again, I kind of went back. Like, I rounded first, and I was like, I'm going to get 3,000 hits. Like, this is going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I got, like, 12 in my career. So. <laughs> 12, 12 is still great. And, and you know, your big league home run, too. But off Greg Maddox, first, first career major league hit. Off Greg Maddox, I don't, I don't know if we could find that stat, but I wonder how many people got their first career hit off Greg Maddox. He played for so long, it might be a couple, but it, it can't be a lot. You know what I mean? You're right. Yeah, yeah I know. It was, uh, I got really, really lucky, and um, I don't know. I got the ball. My, my, my kid doesn't even know I played baseball, so he's, he's going to be five. But I'm sure one day it'll be cool to be able to show him and, uh, and say that you know I, got, I at least got one hit off of a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is so cool. It, it's you, you were there. You you experienced it. You met these players. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, this is a great segue into, into some other things I want to talk about before we finish up. But, um, you know, you took all of that and you didn't just say, um, you know, you had a cup of coffee in the major leagues. You did great. You had all these amazing experiences um, and you didn't just leave baseball. You, I feel like you're more ingrained in the game of baseball now, maybe than you you ever have been. Um, and you started Antonelli Baseball, um, and your handle on Instagram is at Antonelli Baseball, right? Mm -hmm. And on uh, YouTube, is it at, it's at Antonelli Baseball on YouTube too? I think I think it is. you know I first started as I don't know why Touch 'Em All Baseball was what I first was called like 10, 15 years ago. I remember we're sitting <laughs> in my living room. I was like, I'm gonna start a YouTube channel, and my dad was like, What the hell is YouTube channel? I was like, I don't know. I'm gonna start and put up videos, <laughs> and I was like, What should I call it? And he was like, We're sitting there thinking. He's like. I'm like, what do they call like home runs? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, he's like, touch them all. That's a cool. And I was like, all right, let's go with that. So I put it up there. And then uh, and then when we started Antonite Baseball, I, I wiped that out, put Antonite Baseball. So technically it's Antonite Baseball, but I think it might like, and I don't even know how YouTube works, but it might, you might still be like 
uh, YouTube slash Touch Em All Baseball. But if you type in Anthony Baseball, it'll come up. I've got like 8 billion videos up there. So. You have a lot of videos lot up of there. Videos. And I have watched way, uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of them. And <laughs> I, I don't Appreciate even that. play the game anymore. But it's still so fascinating to me how much the swing has changed. Um, and just, I mean, I, 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 I don't need to look back. You don't need to look back on, on what, what could have been or whatever. But, um, you know, you've really taken a big step moving forward. You're saying, you know, I learned something that was so important. It got me from hitting a buck 60 and thinking about quitting baseball to the major leagues um, where you got your first hit off Greg Maddox. And you want to take that, learn it even more. And, uh, and now I feel like you know more about hitting than you ever have. And you're, you're not keeping it for yourself. You're passing it down. To other kids which is so so important because they're not going to have you know maybe the same struggles as you and you're helping all of those kids so i want to dig into that a little bit um you know you talked about your son uh you said he's almost five mm-hmm. yeah so i mean he's he's a young baseball player um there might be you know there might be some parents listening to this i'd like to go and see you know what are you what are you teaching your son right now he's five years old obviously you <laughs> you can't necessarily teach him turning the barrel and kind of mm-hmm sequencing of his swing um are you guys just going out there and having fun and maybe one day you work on it or, or what, what types of tips do you give a five-year-old yeah so i get this question i get asked a ton and sometimes i laugh i get a lot of emails and and questions that say you know my son is four or five or six and what should i be teaching him um and i have a four-year-old almost five and you can't teach him anything he will not listen to anything <laughs> i say anyway so um but I think the biggest things that I've done with them and I, and he loves baseball and he's got a pretty good swing and I hope that he enjoys, I mean, he really enjoys it now. Hopefully he keeps enjoying it. Um, the only things that we do, and I've done this since he was, I would say since he was, once he, when he learned how to walk, I've always had kind of bats around the house and for whatever reason, he's just gravitated towards them and he likes to play sports and he likes to swing. So he's been, you know, I, I've got videos of him when he's like a year and a half and he's got a bat and uh, and I actually do it with my daughter now. She's just turned two. Uh, I had we would I would take a balloon. I'd hold the balloon up, something nice and big that makes them feel good when they hit it. And that's how All we right. started. So he would he would hit the balloon and he loved it. And my daughter loves it, too. Now, that was what big thing that we did at the beginning. Um, the other interesting thing is. It's so weird. When my son was really young, probably in the in his twos, um, if you show him something, so like he would take a swing, and I can't say anything to him. We can't even really talk at this point. But he would swing, and then I would I would take the bat and I would get up lefty because I want to hit lefty. That's it. I made that was one thing I made sure that he was hit lefty, and my daughter. Did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you know, I would take a swing and I would do it. You know, however I want to do it, and it's amazing. At two years old, he'd watch me. And then he'd take the bat and he would mimic what I just did and his swing would change. And I'd be like, this is amazing. Like, I don't say anything. I just do it. And then we'd start watching like Red Sox games and he'd, you know, he's sitting there watching the game. And then all of a sudden he'd start like mimicking guys on TV. So um, I think that was really like to be able to maybe a parent can't show someone like, you know, I got lucky. I played a high level so I can kind of show them what I'm what I want them to do. But you yeah. just flip the TV on and let them watch TV a little bit. And all of a sudden, like, they pick. It's amazing how much stuff they pick up. And then from there, we just have fun. Like, I never say, I don't think I've ever said to him, hey, buddy, do you want to go play baseball today? It's always, like, he always says to me, hey, can we go outside and hit? Like, mm-hmm. 
not every day, but like just yesterday, he's, you know, hey, can we go hit a little bit? Yep. And I go out and I'm just, and that's kind of how my dad was for me. It was like, um, he didn't have to really push me. He was always there. If I said, dad, can we go play baseball? He always would say yes. You know, kind of play catch. Can you hit me ground balls, flat, whatever? He always said yes. Like, I don't remember him ever being like, hey, I'm sorry. I don't have time right now. I got to do this or do that. My dad uh, owned a restaurant my whole childhood. And I remember a lot of times, like, he'd be cooking in the restaurant. And uh, I'd come in and be like, hey, dad, can like we play baseball? And here he is, like, in the middle trying to cook. And there'd be plenty of times where, like, he'd finish up real quick and he'd come out back and, like, have, like, an apron on and play catch with me real quick. <laughs> and they'd be like, all right, I got to run back. He'd run in. I'd throw it off the brick wall. And then he could come back and play. So, like, that's kind of the same thing I try to do with him. He asked me to play. I play with him. I want him to have fun. I don't tell him literally anything. The only things I've said to him when he's hitting, I say, swing fast. Try to hit it hard, hard and far. And, um, you know, like bat pat stuff again he's five i'm not saying anything but if i want him all i say is hey man try to hit this one you know if i feel like he's swinging like really down and smash balls on the ground all i say is hey buddy try to hit this one at that tree right there and it's amazing how well he'll just his path will change because he's going to try to hit the ball there and like simple simple stuff like that and i just let him have fun i never want to feel like i'm coaching him um you know, I don't think a four-year-old needs to be <laughs> needs to be coached. Yeah, no, I I agree, but I mean, you 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 are coaching them, and that's that that's probably the best advice I've heard. And obviously, you're you're probably the best person to give advice on this subject to, um, because I've you know I've done lessons and everything for forever, and uh, I I don't do them anymore. But I had this this lady come in. She had a six-year-old girl who clearly just hated softball, mm-hmm. and I and I was doing a lesson with her, and uh, she's like yeah, my daughter's not really, she doesn't have any power. And, and like, I want her to have a little bit more power for this and that. And I, and I asked the lady and you know, this is my job at the time. I'm like, does your daughter even like softball? (laughs) She's so miserable. So the whole time I would just ask the girl, you know, what she does, what she, what she, what she likes to do. And she's like, yeah, you know, I don't even like softball. She would just tell me all the time. Um, So, I mean, I honestly, that I get asked that question from so many people too. Uh, you know, what, how can I train my son who's six, seven, eight, nine? And I'm like, you don't just make sure they have fun with baseball. And they, they, they have the memories to look back on like you have with your dad, where, you know, they were just there playing with you. And if they're fortunate enough where, you know, you can teach them something awesome. um, That's great. But you know, it doesn't, you can still learn that later. Um, And speaking of learning later, let's segue more into like high school, right? Um, A lot of the kids that are listening to this, um, they might be, you know, they might be in little league. They might be in middle school. Lots of them are in high school. You train a lot of high school, just studs. I mean, I, I watch them swing and I'm like, man, I wish Matt was my coach in high school. <laughs> like the, the, just the level of swings that they're taking. Um, they're so polished and they're in high school and it just blows my mind when I watch these videos, which I'm so glad you post, but you know, what do you tell you know, you're 16 year olds, you know, if, if you said, and I know this is going to be really hard and I think we've done this exercise before, but you know, if you could only have one minute to teach hitting, what would that minute look like? Okay. So the biggest thing, the first thing I tell them is that they need to be, and this sounds weird because I'm, I'm technically a hitting coach. I tell every player, you need to be your best hitting coach. That's the biggest thing. You need to learn as much as you can about your swing what you do to be successful, um, what what you're doing 
that's causing you to not be successful if you come into me and you're really struggling because I'm not always going to be there and you need to be able to figure it out on your own. And I give them a little bit, again, I'm in some ways I wish, obviously I never struggled in my life and just played 20 years in the big leagues. But the fact that I did struggle, I can share the story of how I was someone that didn't know what the hell I was doing, just happened to be good until I wasn't good anymore and then I didn't know what to do. And so I want them to be their best coach and know exactly why everything is happening in their swing. And so that's the first thing. I try to educate them on the swing, what I think is a good swing, and then what they're doing. Um, And it's really easy stuff. So I always start with, again, explaining bat path. So I want like the core thing. So bat path, what's it supposed to look like? So we talk about how the ball is being pitched from an elevated mound, downhill, or from an elevated mound overhand to a catcher of the squad. The ball's moving downhill. I want to try to impact the ball squarely. In order for me to impact it squarely, I've got to be behind the ball. I've got to be on the same path. So I start with that because a lot of kids are taught this swing like this, straight down to the ball. I would say 80, probably 80% of the kids that come into me, they smash the ball on the ground and they pop up to the infield because they're doing this and they don't know they're doing it and they're told to do it. And they actually think the reason that they're not successful is because they're not doing this enough when they're actually doing yeah. that too much. So, yeah. um, um, and that's not everyone's issue. There are some kids that lose the barrel and like everyone has their own issues, but it always comes back to a bat path issue. If a kid comes in and he has a really good path, I, you know, he might not hit a ton of homers if he's not big and physical or whatever, but he's probably squaring the ball up and he's probably consistent. And so I always start with bat path and I just explained to him, it's got to be behind the ball. It's got to be on the same path as the ball. And it should be from the inside out, not from the outside in. If you're swinging down, you're from the outside in. If you're swinging slightly up through the ball, you'll be from the inside out. So I, I give them all that stuff. Um, and then um, and then from there, it's explaining. And again, you said one minute thing. This would be impossible. I could never get all of this <laughs> in one minute. A, yeah. lot of my, a lot of my time, I would say the first hour I meet with a player is sitting down and explaining all this stuff. Mm-hmm. because if they don't know, I actually always start off with this. And now it's easier because a lot of people know who I am from YouTube. It's amazing. People come in from all over the country. Like I've got people flying in next week from Pittsburgh and I've had kids. I've had a lot of kids from Canada. I've had everywhere. They all like, so they see me on YouTube and, uh, and then they come in. So that helps that they kind of have a background on the stuff I'm talking about. But there are a lot of kids that just, you know, they, what are they see a video quick the parents sees a video they type my name or they type uh, into my baseball they see where i'm located oh we'll go for a lesson and so if if a lot of times they say, listen i might i'm probably going to be different from what you've heard from your coach chances are mm-hmm. probably a little bit different and uh i say i'm going to tell you exactly what i think about the swing how it works i said i want you to listen i want you to try it and hopefully you love it and get a lot out of it. If you do, beautiful. We're going to work great together. If you don't, you don't ever have to see me again. You can go, like, if you don't have to see me, I don't care. That's perfectly fine. I said, but I need, we need to be on the same page, and you need to just hear me out from where, where I'm coming from right now. And that's why I spend a lot of time on that first hour explaining everything. And most kids are like, if they've never seen me before or heard of me, they're like, most of them are like, oh, my God. Like Some say, well, that's totally different than what I've ever been told. Some guys say, I can tell when guys are really fighting me 
And if they fight me or whatever, and they say, no, no, I've been told to do this and I'm trying to work and they, and they don't listen, then I'm just real honest with them. And I just say like, hey, listen, man, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think again, and you don't have to listen, but I'm telling you, if you, in my opinion, if you want to be successful, this is what you got to do. And then if they come back and see me, they beautiful. If they don't, that's fine too. There's so many kids that, you know, want to come in and work. And, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm really young. I'm only 34 years old. And I, I don't want to act like I am like this great hitting coach. I think that I've, I know some stuff. There's plenty of people that know a lot more than me, but I do think that I've watched enough stuff and studied enough stuff that I can help most players. And so hopefully I'm just sharing that with the guys. And then I let, I let them do what they want. If they want it, if they buy into it, beautiful, let's go a hundred percent and we'll, and then we really get into stuff. And if they don't, then that's fine too. Yeah. And I mean, I love that because you're teaching, you are teaching everyone to be their own coach because you're not, you're not just saying, this is how you do it. This is my way of doing it. If you don't like it, get out of here. You're saying, right. this is what I know. Let's build off of that. Let me teach you what I know so you know it. And then you can learn even more than that. Um, you know, when I was doing lessons, I kind of got the same kind of like side eyes from these coaches. Like, why is he doing this thing where the elbow is flying up towards the ceiling? Um, you know, but all, all of our players, that I think every single one of them led the team in hitting this year. And I just picked a, or, or a couple of years ago when I was doing lessons. Um, but I always told them, I said, I know this is really strange. I wasn't taught this way growing up. Um, but if you ever want to know why we're doing this, just stop me and ask me. Just say, Josh, that makes no sense. Why are we doing this? What's the point of it? Um, and I loved when they asked that because it's not, it's not their fault if I'm communicating something poorly. I could have 10 kids and I might need to explain the same exact thing 10 different ways for them to internalize it. Um, and honestly, we were on your page constantly at my lessons. I mean, like constantly. You had different bat views, different angles, um, different topics to talk about. And, uh, and literally, it was so much fun conversing with, uh, with the kids um, because they were like, did you see that, that video on Antonelli Baseball? It was two weeks ago. It was of Manny Ramirez. Um, and he was talking about, you know, um, you know, turning the barrel. I was like, yes, let's look at that right now. Everyone gather around. We have four kids in the lesson. Um, and I mean, your page was, is such a valuable asset, um, you know, for everybody to use. It's so, so important uh, because hitting is really hard and we're on a podcast right now and it's tough to conceptualize what we're talking about. We're, we're just speaking about it. You can't even see what we're doing, but your page um, just shed so much light on what you're actually talking about. And, uh, and sometimes it's not even, you talked about turning the barrel. Some kid might be wondering right now, what's turning the barrel. He's going to type it into YouTube. And the only video that's going to pop up is you talking about turning the barrel. So you putting this content out there is so important, uh, you know, for kids. And, uh, you know, I wish obviously that I had it when I was younger. Uh, cause now I'm, I'm a huge believer in the things that you teach, um, and the way that hitting is being taught now, I think some people might overdo it. Some people might not. But, um, you know, just being a student of the game and a student of the swing, I'm glad you're passing that along to people and, and people are learning that. So props to you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And one quick thing on that. The biggest thing I think is with YouTube and all this stuff now is just to go on and watch major leaguers hit and just watch what they're doing. And like I said earlier, stylistically, like, Guys do all kinds of crazy stuff, but there are definitely core things that you'll see almost all of them doing. There's a reason why 
the best players, the best hitters are the best hitters, right? Mm -hmm. And like one thing that drives me so crazy is, you know, the one thing that people say to me sometimes is, yeah, well, that only works because they're these major league players. And I always say like, no, no, no. The reason they're major league players is because they're doing this. Now, does it help that they are, you know, very big and strong and athletic and all this stuff? Like, yeah, that absolutely, like, you can have a great swing. And if you don't have some of those traits, then you might not make the major league. Even if you have those, you might not make the major leagues. But there's no doubt that if you hit in the big leagues for a long time, that you are, what you're doing is the re like that swing that's the reason why you're there and i see so many bad swings at lower levels and then when i talk to people they say yeah yeah but you can't do that at this level you got to do it only works because they're major league players and so that's that's the one thing that drives me nuts it's like just go watch these guys if you watch the the best with the bonds and the pujols and the rodriguez and the, all those guys you take the top, I don't know, 500 guys, and just watch, and you will see so many similarities from bat path and the way they move their body and sequence their body that, you know, that's that's the reason why they were so, so, that's, that's the main reason, in my opinion, that they're so, so good. Yeah. Um, it's so funny you said that. That is a, the exact speech I got from my college coach. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't hit like them. You're not right. as big as them. You don't have the talent like them. You're not as, as powerful as them. And in my head, I'm like, coach, you're right. Like, uh, you know, I'm just going to be the best at, at hitting singles up the middle. You know what I mean? Um, and it's not true at all. They got there because they're doing that. Right. Um, so I like that. I mean, I want to ask you, who, who's your favorite swing? Who has the favorite swing in the major leagues right now? Um, give me your top three and just a quick favorite thing about it. And then we can wrap up. I want to tell everyone, you know, where to find more about you. Okay. Um, so let me start all time. Barry Bonds, probably my favorite of all time. Um, Manny Ramirez is right there with them. I think those are the two guys that I I've watched the most swings of. Um, and then I think Albert Pujols, probably when he was back with the Cardinals, is another guy. Pujols was actually one of the first guys that Sean Wooten showed me and was showing me a lot of things that I'd never seen before. It was a lot of Pujols stuff. So those three are probably my favorite three of all time to watch. Um, and again, stylistically, they're all doing stuff different. Some guys have, you know, you know, Pujols had this super wide stance with like this little tiny stride and and uh, and Bonds was a little bit closer together. And and Manny had a big leg kick. And but again, you start watching, you'll see a lot of similarities between them. And then in today's game, um, there are a lot of guys. Uh, I love uh, obviously Mike Trout's swing is a little bit unique. But again, I think he does things so, so well. Um, JD Martinez is a guy that's gotten like a ton of publicity and he's one of those guys. If you watch his stuff, mm -hmm. he's one of those guys that he was really struggling and was basically on his way out of the big leagues and he changed his whole philosophy. He's, he was one of the guys that really made it popular. He started saying like, listen, I've been taught to do this my whole career mm -hmm. and, uh, it's not working and he changed to start to try to get the barrel on the path on path earlier. And now all of a sudden he's JD Martinez, the guy that's, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best hitters in the league. So he's a great guy to go watch and watch his swing when he was with uh, the Astro. I think it was with the Astros and then today and just watch how his swing has kind of changed. Um, so he's so got he got, he, he got released. So he got released. He was going to play in Mexico or something. 
um, before he got picked up. Uh, funny story about JD, we played college against each other. He was a D2 guy. No way. And uh, so, I, yeah, so I've, I've known JD. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, and I remember his swing being down. But, with bat, I mean, it doesn't really matter when you have uh, a composite Nike bat from sure. uh, from 2009. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his swing, he has talked about this isn't a natural swing. But watching it, so I went to the Red Sox game the other night, um, and my favorite thing to do is just watch the on-deck circle. I mean, it is just like a treasure trove of information because you see exaggerations of what people are working on. And watching JD warm up, watching him take BP is great. Watching him on the on-deck circle, you can kind of feel what's going on in his mind. I mean, he is not only mentally just dialed in, and I remember you had a post about routines and you use JD because he looks at his bat and breathes. Yeah. Um, but watching him in the on-deck circle, um, you just learn so much. And uh, I think, you know, more players, there's always like memes and gifs about Cody Bellinger and, um, and Joey Votto. You know, they're doing crazy exaggerations in the on-deck circle. But just being at the Red Sox game and just watching the on-deck circle, I felt like I, I still learned so much from that. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, every player has these little things that they're doing to just try to feel, you know, feel something. And so you'll see a lot of guys. Um, and again, I, I don't. Can anyone see me when I'm doing this? So I guess I really can't. Uh... Well, it's going to be on. It's going to be video and it's going to be on podcast. But if if you're on just the audio right now, uh, we're going to put it up on YouTube, so you're okay. going to be able to see everything we're talking about. Yeah. Fair enough. So like. Yeah, you like you'll talk. You, you just mentioned Votto. So Votto will really take these exaggerated swings where his like his lead arm is always working up and he's tilting. So you'll see him tilt back and up. He'll be at first base a lot. He'll take his glove off and he'll start yeah. doing this move right here. Um, you'll see you'll see Martinez do that a lot. He'll always kind of have his bottom hand and sometimes I've seen him do it with the bat or just with his yep. arm. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see like Aaron judge make this move. Like he'll yeah. in between pitches, he'll make this little move where he's feeling the barrel start to kind of turn back. You see a lot of guys do that actually. So mm -hmm. every player, not every player, but most players have this, like this little thing that they'll do. That's trying to kind of get them to feel again, whatever they're trying to feel in their swing. And it just kind of gets you like locked in, I guess, feeling it. And you're right. The on deck circle is where that a lot of guys will do it. And then you'll see it in between pitches. Guy will take a pitch. And then when he's kind of, you know, just relaxing until the next pitch comes, you'll see him make like a small little move. And they're just trying to, pro again, just program themselves to feel what they want to feel when they're swinging. So that's great. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, and that was actually, it was the night Mookie Betts hit three home runs. Uh, it was that game against the Yankees. Um, Mookie Betts is definitely, uh, Mookie Betts and Altuve, I think, have the absolute most athletic dynamic swings mm -hmm. um, in baseball. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful swings. Um, and I used to hit with a guy named Shannon Wilkerson, who um, used to hit with Mookie uh, going up through the Red Sox system. And he said Mookie used to think of his, the, the top of his barrel as a helicopter because he does this spin and that would get him in the right position, um, you know, to, to turn his barrel and kind of get that momentum with his barrel going back. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so cool that no one's ever taught someone to, to swing a bat like a helicopter. <laughs> but that was that was what you were saying earlier is the more you learn about your swing, the more you can find, you know, these these core principles like you were talking about, but then relate them to yourself. I mean. That makes no sense to me. A helicopter? Like, what does that mean? Um, but then you see Mookie swing. You're like, oh, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And um, just hearing those stories, um, you know, you, you 
you're passing on something really important, um, you know, by teaching these kids these core principles and then they can make themselves better. So um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so yeah, I want to wrap up. I mean, this, honestly, I could just talk about hitting all, all day, every day. Um, it's crazy. Cause I just don't, I, I'm not on the field anymore. And I just, I'm on Instagram, just watching videos of hitting over and over and over again. It's so interesting, but I want everyone to go show Matt love at Antonelli baseball on Instagram. You're going to learn so, so, so much from his videos, um, and what he's posting and just maybe bring up topics you might not be comfortable with, but, um, it's a great place to have a conversation about hitting. Um, definitely the YouTube, you have so many YouTube videos. Um, it is a great, great place to learn hitting as well. More extended content, things like that. This whole podcast will be up on YouTube as well. Um, and do you have any asks of anybody, um, you know, that that's listening right now, or, um, is there any other places they can find you or get in contact with you? No, those are the two best places. And if, uh, I'm, I'm actually probably a little bit more active on YouTube. So any of the videos, you know, I've got tons of players that watch videos and have questions. If you comment right on the video, 99% of the time I'll see it and I'll be able to respond to you and help you out. So I would say, uh, but same thing with Instagram. I try to get on Instagram as much as I can, but those are the main two spots that, you know, I'm talking the most baseball stuff. So but definitely check either one of those out. Awesome. Well, uh, this was, this was so much fun. Every time we talk, I, I feel like I learned something and I think, you know, what you're doing is super important. So thanks for being on. Um, it was a blast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. See ya. All right. See ya.